Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Put your phone down. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats. He's the managing editor for Investigations and Special Projects at Voice of San Diego. What's up, Andy? Hi, Scott. Fellow managing editor for Daily News, Andrea Lopez Villafaña is back. What is up, Lopez? What's up? I'm back. Coming up on the show this week, we have done a lot of work listening to people on your behalf about what is on the ballot. So it's mail-in ballot week. We're going to go through all of the San Diego parts of your ballot and what we know about it and the different races on it. We're going to go through state props, local props, some of the big races we're following. And we'll admit when we don't know something and where you can get some more information. So grab that ballot off your counter, get a pencil, start taking notes. Andy was just explaining things that I know to me, and it made me remember something that I've been thinking about a lot. So I coached the softball, you know, Uh 10U softball, Mm -hmm. and something always comes up that drives me nuts. Like, there'll be like a pot fly, and my girls now, they catch pot flies. You expect them to catch it more than you expect them not to, which is a good development, right? What's a pot fly? It's where the uh, batter hits the I, ball I, I, and it goes I'm, up in the I'm, air. I'm beyond the point of knowing where the <laughs> bit begins and ends anymore, It's which is the best place for a bit to have yeah. reached. I, I don't know. For all I know, that was deadpan serious. I don't she, know. She was. That, that was yeah, serious. It was, it's where the batter uh, hits the ball, but mm-hmm. it, it goes up in the air, and the the players have a chance to catch it. And if they catch it, it's an out. It's good mm-hmm. for, the, for, the, for the defense. Oh, yeah. For the batter, it's a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. So whenever there's a pop fly, though, I have parents in the fans, in the, yeah. in, the, in the bleachers, and they'll yell, catch it. Yeah. And it's like, 
We went over that in practice. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't give me, help. Give me, give me some credit. I <laughs> mentioned that. <laughs> it doesn't help me anymore. Yeah. But it comes up in every setting where it's like, all right, Ava, you got this. Let's just throw strikes. Throw some strikes. You yeah. got this. As if the pitcher's not like already aware. Of you should the- start out the season next year. Be like, love to have your, all your girls on the team. We're going to have a great season. Just want to go over some ground rules. Shut up during games. <laughs> Actually, do no, not talk. I do always. I do not want you to scream at all. I always do say we don't want any coaching from the stands. The girls need to hear one voice. Mm-hmm. You can come talk to me after the game. All mm-hmm. that sort okay. of thing. That's but, good. Um, so we're not going to try to tell you obvious things about your ballot. Like, like catch it, fill it in. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yes, use a pen. Fill the whole bubble in. You do a write-in in some form. You need to write the person's name next to it. You're just doing all the things you said you weren't <laughs> going to do right now. Yeah. Sign just... it. Put it in an envelope. <laughs> seal the envelope. Go to the mailbox. <laughs> yeah. The 2022 November ballot. Whoop, whoop. All right. First up, Governor... Governor Gavin Newsom has raised about $14.5 million for this race, and his opponent, Brian Dahl, has not. Right. He's not raised that much. No, no. Uh, some money, but not that much. A couple million. Oh, He's got something. I could do with a million. Um, so what we're going to do, I, I'm going to skip over some of the less exciting races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to make any commentary about them. All right, go down your ballot, and now let's go to the the one I want to highlight first. This is the race for controller. This is actually kind of interesting. So controller is the one who writes checks, and we have to elect that office. I'm not quite sure why. However, they do write all the checks for the state government, and they have a way of, they have a bunch of other ancillary jobs that are along the lines of looking out for waste and fraud, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a big controversy about the state giving out unemployment benefits to people who didn't deserve them. Mm-hmm. And this person would ostensibly have a role in making that possible. But, it, but the big part about this is that the this is one of the easiest sort of statewide elected positions to get. And it's often a step for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. Governor, someday, Senate, something like that. Now, what makes this race interesting is that the Republicans have somebody they're extremely excited about. Lonnie Chen is running for this. Now, he helped uh, run former, um, or I guess three, two, U.S. Senator from um, Utah, Mitt Romney, when he ran for gov- or for president. Lonnie Chen was part of that. He's, uh, he's just kind of one of these rising stars that they hope would help them you know, really establish the Republicans haven't won a statewide seat uh, since the Schwarzenegger era. Mm. And so they're hoping to change that this time. Now, he's running against Malia Cohen, who's a member of the State Board of Equalization. And I'm not going to try to explain what that body does because eventually they will get rid of it because it's 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 long past its getting rid of stage. Yeah. Yeah, Lan Hee-chan, he, he, after his um, role with, with Mitt Romney's campaign, he he worked in some conservative-leaning think tanks, not even leading, just conservative think tanks, um, and was a media personality. He was on uh, like a, a 
nationally syndicated public radio talk show representing conservative viewpoints. He's he's the sort of like sober minded thinking person's conservative with um, who who is by no by all accounts he he is to the right of center, um, but like not in a Trumpy way. And with the amount of institutional support he has from Republicans, and the like, the extent to which this is a more or less forgotten race at the state level, if a guy like him can't win that seat, it's like an indication that like Republicans are unelectable statewide. Period. For the ca- for the fear for for the yeah. Exactly. So he's been endorsed by the Los Angeles Times, the OC Register, San Diego Union Tribune, just a bunch of of newspapers far out pacing uh, Malia at uh, San Francisco Examiner. She got that, the, the old San Francisco Examiner. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on down the ballot. Ba-da, 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 ba-da. Let's go to U.S. Senator. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is you have to vote twice in this race. This is that one. You have to vote to who's going to finish the current term. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to vote for the next term that will start in the beginning of 2023. So that's the six-year term. Alex Padilla is the current sort of appointed U.S. Senator, and he's running against Mark Muser, who's the Republican in the race. Now, that's why you have to vote for two. The bottom vote is for who's going to finish this term. Mm -hmm. The top vote is for the six years after that. Make sense? Everybody good? Yeah, got it. We're all good good on that. Which actually could be very relevant if... For instance, Republicans were to uh, take the Senate or the House or both uh, in the time between the election and the inauguration for all those newly elected members who would change the majority, you would have a a legislative session in there where Democrats may try to get certain things through, such as a debt limit increase, for instance, especially. Um, So having that additional Democratic vote in that two-month period... Um, could prove pivotal. All right, let's move down uh, through all of the yes, no's on whether you want to keep um, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, all those folks. There's not an organized, from what I can tell, campaign to get votes of no on any of these that would matter. However, if we get down to the race for San Diego County Superior Court, this is a big judge's race. Rebecca Cantor, running against Mike Murphy. Rebecca Cantor's uh, in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and Mike Murphy's uh, Deputy Attorney General. This is a fierce sort of campaign contest between these two individuals. Um, The uh, Judicial Election Evaluation Committee of the San Diego County Bar Association does a good job every time of rating uh, all these judge candidates, so you can always check that out for their fairness, their integrity, the judgment. It's like a 23-person panel, a lot of things going on there, caseload management, have they ever been to trial, all that sort of thing. They rec- they say Rebecca Cantor has a well-qualified sort of check plus on her rating, and Mike Murphy has a qualified. So I'll leave it at that. Um, the other race, this is um, Pete Murray. He is a um, prosecutor. So for Pete Murray, they said well-qualified, and for Peter Singer, they said qualified. Got it? Got it. Now down to school board. There are two major school board races. Uh, let's talk about those, shall we, Lopez? Yep. All right. So I'll do the first one. This is um, the sort of coastal district 
of the San Diego Unified School District. Now, the San Diego Unified School District doesn't cover the entire city of San Diego, but a good part of it. And this is now for the district on the coast. This is the first time that that, those districts will be decided by people in those districts and not just by people across the entire district itself, which is almost the entire city. Now, why did they make that change? Well, they made that change because most government bodies like this have made a change like it because it's more uh, arguably representative of those districts. You don't want, mm-hmm. uh, you know, white people in one part of the community deciding who represents a, a much more diverse other part of the community, that sort of thing. It assures representation. It assures a voice on the board often of uh, groups of people who may be a minority of the entire city or school district, but have a concentration in a particular area. Yeah, the school district uh, resisted this for many, many years, but finally came around and the change was made on the last ballot. And now this is the uh, first series of elections about that. So this is the most exciting of the school board races, I think. Cody Pedersen is running as a Democrat, uh, very progressive, uh, liberal on a lot of issues. Gets He has the support of the teachers union, a bunch of other um, similar groups. And he um, is uh, running, and then he's running against Becca Williams. And now Becca Williams has raised a lot of money as an alternative voice, conservative. She's a charter school founder. She believes they should go to the basics, uh, teach the basics, experiment for different things. She got a large large following after being part of the resistance effort towards uh, vaccine mandates, uh, COVID. Masks in schools. COVID, sort of uh, all those things. Um, she uh, she's doing an interesting campaign. She sent out a hand addressed letter to my wife. Uh, this oh. yeah, not not oh, her. Oh, because you're in that district. Yeah, yeah, but like they they're trying to mass produce sort of um, personalized uh, uh, campaign materials like that. So interesting approach. Lots of money coming in both from the teachers union to make up the difference because he hasn't raised as much money as she has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's probably the underdog in this, but uh, certainly it's an interesting debate. And I, we had our debate at PolitiFest, mm-hmm. and I was watching that. And we had all four school board candidates mm-hmm. running. And um, the, uh, I kind of wish that it was just those two because they lock horns on school bond issues, on finances, on approach to education, on whether there needs to be a different way of grading people to, to show their mastery of the subject as opposed to their ability to get certain work tasks done. All of those things that are hot button issues, uh, critical race theory, all of these things, there's a vast difference between both of them. And I'd love to just just bathe in hours of discussion <laughs> about it. But Wow. That's that. You have interesting interests. <laughs> yeah. That's who I well, am. I think Jacob, our education reporter, you know, when he wrote about this race, it was it just like was one of those stories that kind of came together because they are, you know, as he wrote, a tale of opposites and their views on lots of different things for that district are so different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to us about the other race. So this is the race to replace Kevin Beiser, who is still on the school board after all of these years. And he is leaving and termed out this area covers like the Tierra Santa, San Carlos, this uh, sort Mission of... Valley. Yeah, this region. Um, it's an open seat thus. And um, mm-hmm. tell us about the candidates there. Yeah, so uh, you have Godwin Higa mm-hmm. and Shayna Hazan. Um, and they have a lot of similar views on, on a lot of subjects. But I think 
what's what's different about both of these candidates is just who they are and their approach. I mean, Godwin's uh, campaign has been really grassroots. And I think Jacob covered this for us, saying how he just kind of like stood on the side of the street with some, you know, with big signs to vote for him. And and Shane is definitely more polished, has outraised any of the candidates uh, for school board. So she's at running as put together of a campaign mm-hmm. for this um, office as I've ever seen. It's just really well organized. She gets lots of endorsements. She communicates well. Um, he has, as I think um, Jacob described well, he has a history of of kind of a what they call a trauma-informed mm-hmm. leadership at schools where they try to um, make sure that they keep in mind how how what people are going through in schools. And mm-hmm. as he, he kind of sort of backed into implementing a lot of those policies, Way earlier than other places did as a as a superintendent, a lot of people, or as a principal at his school, mm-hmm. a lot of people appreciate that. Uh, on the other hand, she has um, she has a message that's resonated with a, kind of a bipartisan um, mm-hmm. audience. She got the support of the teachers union. Um, she uh, she's she's pulled together a lot of resources. Now we're going to get into the countywide elected offices. So there are. Four of these, right? So uh, there's the county assessor, county sheriff, county district attorney, and the treasurer tax collector. Now, these are the only four offices that everyone in the county votes on. All like, there's like millions of people in the county. Well, I guess like state senate, governor. Yeah, I'm talking about county, uh, yeah. county-wide stuff. So everybody votes on these these offices. Let's start with the assessor, recorder, clerk. Now, this job, what? <laughs> <That> title. <laughs> it's very exciting, they, Lopez. It does seem like they could like call they need, it like, like a rebrand or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they could call it like, you know, something like chief financial executive or something like that. When you once you've got three slashes in your in your title, like you, you need an, you need to move umbrella. up the ladder. You Get need an, umbrella. an umbrella term. Yeah. 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 Well, so this is the, the, I think the major job of this office is to make sure they go out and they decide how much a property's worth. So let's say Andy buys a shopping mall and decides to turn it into condos. Somebody from the assessor's office has to go at some point and tell Andy that we think this property is now worth Fifteen million dollars, and you will start to pay taxes on that, based on that amount. The taxes are limited at that point because of Prop Thirteen. They can only go up one percent per year, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it's from a, your purchase price, yeah, it's so, like a one point one percent tax rate. One percent, it can go up each year, right? And so, uh, that's a main part of the job, and it's a big part of the job. Uh, it takes up a lot of their time and particularly managing the appeals. There's there's right. a, an especially formalized process of after this assessment comes in, if you wish to appeal, who handles that appeal, how how that's uh, adjudicated, and like it's a management pill to right. to handle all that, and that's a big part of what the office does. They manage the death certificates, the birth certificates. They manage the wedding certificates. Weddings you've been, are huge. You've been married in this county. You've dealt with that. Yeah, office. and so there's that's the whole office there. Now, this has become a pretty interesting race. There is a well-funded, well-resourced, experienced candidate running for the seat, Barbara Bree. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and she's running against Jordan Marks, uh, another well-resourced, good experience. Uh, and um, they both really want the job. Now, Jordan Marks works for the incumbent who is leaving office, Ernie Dronenberg. 
And he is the chief deputy assessor and the taxpayer advocate in that office. So he's kind of the one appointed to try to take Ernie's spot. A, a well-trod path in countywide offices to yeah. have a, a number two of the office run as the successor. All right. So this race has now broken down as when you don't have obvious ways to distinguish candidates, the easiest way is, is through partisanship. So Jordan Marks is a longtime member of the local Republican Party, as was his boss, uh, Ernie Dronenberg. Uh, Barbara Bree ran for mayor, of course, was has been a leader in the Democratic Party for a long time, ran against Todd Gloria for mayor, lost that seat. Uh, Pretty interesting little story of of like how partisan politics works, where, where Barbara Bree was a Democrat in good standing. She was a host of fundraisers before she ran as a as a city council person. She was you know, held up as a, a core member of the Democratic elected world. She decided to run for office and the and the establishment Democrats coalesced around her opponent. Todd Gloria. Todd Gloria walked with her. Yeah, they they the, yeah they had walked total support. To, to, yeah, and then immediately it was like she was persona non grata. She's not even a Democrat. Democrat, you know. She she, <laughs> she, she there, there was endorsed, often yeah. there was often the rhetoric was to the point of like she might as well be a Republican. Much of that her own strategic decision making about how to differentiate herself with her opponent. Mm-hmm. And then when she decides she's going to run again, there was like a brief moment of like, oh, this will be interesting. How will the party reconcile this? And the answer was like, without any hesitation at all. It was just instantaneously like, all right, great. We have a fantastic candidate for assessor. You're a Democrat <laughs> now. Like, and after all, you were an elected official as a Democrat and we loved you. Well, yeah. welcome back. Like, like no problems whatsoever. Yeah. And all of the people who supported her as like the conservative alternative to Todd Gloria back in the mayor's race and like insisted that she like was never a Democrat in good standing and then that she, she had always been this, this uh, person who bucked orthodoxy and like nowhere to be found now that yeah. that like it turns out that she made specific decisions that needed to be made in that race and now back to much more consistent with her life as a political person. So she's worked really hard to define Jordan Marks as a Trump Republican um, and thinks that that'll be obviously a winning tactic. He she's got him so cornered, <laughs> which I would imagine she has a good insight into because yes. she was often pitted as a Trump uh, a comparison in the mayor's race and, and yeah it hurt her <laughs> yeah and he uh he, he he she actually cornered him pretty strongly on um abortion access so um interestingly the the assessor does have a role they have to decide the tax status of certain like clinics and stuff and there you could see a, a hardcore sort of partisan or sort of principled person trying to use whatever tools they have to make a point on some issue like that. And he he had to come out and say, no, I support Proposition 1. We'll talk about that later, about uh, guaranteeing access to abortion. Um, and then he's come back, and supporters of him uh, are running ads and other things to attack her for this little bit of a technical, uh, complicated arrangement, but it's kind of interesting. So uh, her husband had an investment in a company, and the company's sort of business model was to use analytics and computer abilities to look through publicly available information and um, building permit information and determine whether 
landlords or other owners of homes and and apartments had been doing unpermitted improvements on their properties. And if so, then they weren't being taxed at the potentially highest rate possible. And thus they were kind of defrauding the system, right? And so he had invested in this company. Now she had also disclosed on her own economic interest form that she was an investor in this company. And that became kind of an issue because at the city of San Diego, she had participated in discussions about the city's relationship to this company. Is that fair? Or a potential relationship? It was, Yeah, it was. It, yes, I think that's basically right. Uh, involving this company's had an ancillary product using to, used to identify Airbnbs. Right. And that the, the city, this company sought a contract with the city That's right. to, to help it identify Airbnbs for its future Airbnb permitting system. And did she properly, you know, recuse herself or whatever was something right. that came up. Now, he's just, he and his supporters have just like nuked that. They're, they, are, they are just doing everything they can to, to highlight that as a problem for her. Um, now she says, look, I just checked that. I forgot to check a box that says it's my husband's investment, not mine. He's gotten rid of it since then. What do you, you guys are you focusing on the wrong things or whatever. But I think that's just an indication of just how intense this, this campaign has gotten. It's this hard, it's a high level. Um, and they're using, they're doing actual commercials. There's, there's just a lot of interest on this, on this race. Is this race usually quiet? It's never been discussed in life. <laughs> I would say I would say four years ago. I would say in tw- I, I'd say we ramped up to this point. Sure. In, in 2018, Matt Strabone ran against Dronenberg, um, and that was like the most high-profile candidate opposing the incumbent that certainly that had ever happened in my time in local politics. Yeah. Right now, he's furious that we're having this conversation, <laughs> right? Like, well, well, he and the, the, now the problem that what's different about this race than that one is. He was running against an incumbent. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just such a higher hill to climb, steeper hill to climb at, to, to knock up an incumbent. This is, you know, despite their attempts to essentially appoint a, a pseudo incumbent, this is an open seat. And so um, the chances of, of, of affecting a race that has no incumbent are so much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that said, like it would still, if Barbara Bree wins, be the first Democrat to win a countywide office. Yeah, no, this is a big race. Like, period. <laughs> it's a it's an important one. Uh, Jordan Marks argues, look, I got this place managed well. It's going to be even better. She's like, no, it's just completely mismanaged. You're not even assessing these properties fast. And you went to an anti-abortion rally 20 years ago or whatever. You know, it's like, it's there's a lot of intensity around it. I managed the debate on it. It was pretty interesting. So watch for that one. I'm going to skip the law enforcement ones for now. Just the treasurer tax collector, Dan McAllister's been there. He's incumbent for a long time. But I think you might start to see the same thing happen probably the next cycle with that one. So let's get into the countywide law enforcement. There's two countywide law enforcement seats. The district attorney, the lead prosecutor Mm -hmm. of the county, and the sheriff. So before we get into both, we discovered something at PolitiFest that uh, that Jesse Marks ended up right. fact-checking and run a, ran a story about. The, the state of California legislature and the governor have passed a new law that says that these races, district attorney and sheriff across the state, need to be elected in the same cycle as the presidential races when most people come out to vote. 
and they made the argument that that would be more representative and it would be uh, they would they would have more um, legitimacy as elected representatives of law enforcement if they were in that role. But as you today, this is 2022. This is not a presidential year. That means that people elected this year to those seats get the two years now, and then they get four years after that. They get six-year terms. So you are voting right now for district attorney on six-year term and for sheriff on a six-year term for these options. Now, Summer Stefan, the current district attorney, is running unopposed. So that means she's she's running unopposed for a six-year term. So by just running for re-election, she got another six years in that role. It, it's about as good as it gets in electoral politics. Yeah, you don't really like get an easier a, ride than six that. Six years for, for without any having to campaign. Yeah, it's fascinating. So uh, we don't need to get into that race. Obviously, you literally only have one choice on that one. You can leave it blank if you want, but yeah, that's a, your other choice. Yeah. Next one though, this is interesting. So John conscientious Hanks, abstention is a democratic act. Yeah, and it it really has an impact. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the standard now? Impact. Yeah. yeah. All right, Sheriff, this one's fascinating, too. We talked about it last week on the podcast where we reviewed the PolitiFest discussion. Kelly Martinez is the number two sheriff right now, the so-called undersheriff. I don't like undersheriff. I don't know. It's an interesting one because it what most, I don't mean, I, I hesitate to even say this, but the organizational arrangement I'm most familiar with that lists under blank as it's as the number two is the mafia <laughs> what <laughs> the, the under tony soprano's role in sopranos was he was not the boss he was the underboss yeah wow well that's interesting <laughs> um so she's the under sheriff she's the number two in charge of the sheriff's department she uh became a democrat before the race mm-hmm. um she was embraced by the a lot of the leaders of the Democratic Party, uh, you know, Todd Gloria, Nathan Fletcher, all the board of supervisors that are Democrats supported her, the three, um, and a lot of other folks like that. She did not, though, get the Democratic support in the primary. The actual official party supported John uh, Dave Myers, mm-hmm. and he did not make it past the primary. The Republican, who wasn't a Republican until this race, he was a Republican, and then he wasn't, now he is again, John Hemmerling got uh, the support of the Republican Party, and he got through the primary. So now what's interesting about this is she's the Democrat and he's the Republican, but he is running to her left on everything. He got Dave Myers' endorsement. He's, he's, um, he's more articulate and more emphatic in his support of, of protecting unauthorized immigrants than she is. He's more emphatic about trying to limit and... and eliminate deaths in jails. He's uh, more willing to take people's firearms or to try to challenge their ability to have firearms, access to firearms. Touting his role in working on that when he was in the city attorney's office. Mm -hmm. So, and I think very, they're very consciously trying to, um, because looking at the dynamics, they think that she's going to get a lot more support from the right and he's trying to go to her left. So it's kind of a, fascinating thing i don't yeah i I mean like this gets into like weird uh second guessing of electoral strategies which i don't know if that's what people come to us for but i don't understand the like 
will will win with both the left and the right <laughs> theory of 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 cobbling together a a fifty percent plus one of the election, and that's what Barbara Bree tried to do as the uh, in mayor for mayor back in twenty twenty was like running far to Todd Gloria's left for you know progressives who who, did, who saw him as a centrist liberal, but then also conservatives who saw him as as like a representative of like the woke elite. Yeah, and I, I just. It just seems like such a, a messaging bank shot. I don't know how anyone gets it done. But well, maybe because she's like seen as part of the system already mm-hmm. where he can still tap into those people. So it's like an anti-establishment message. Almost. Yeah, which yeah. I think you could argue is what Barbara tried to do too, yeah. right? Like yeah. like you see, it's not so much a left-right thing as as, as an outsider versus establishment. Inside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Both those races are for six-year terms. Okay, Ooh. now we'll get into the exciting ones. We haven't gotten <laughs> to the exciting ones? We are going to take a quick break. More ballot breakdown on the other side. Stay with us. It gets even better. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Let's talk about city council for a second. The most exciting city council race in the city of San Diego is the District 6 race. Uh, Republican city councilman, the only Republican on the city council, the only Republican in city hall, at least in elected spots is Chris Kate, and he is termed out. I would out. stress in elected spots. There are plenty of Republicans <laughs> kicking around in City Hall. Absolutely. They're just like lurking. <laughs> no, no they're not even lurking. They're strutting. They're in. They're <laughs> making major decisions. Um, he is out, and the two people running are Democrats, so we will now definitely have only Democrats on the city council, only Democrats in all city elected spots, at least for the time being, depending it just depends on which one so there are two tommy howe and kent lee we talked about it last week all the different things they're disagreeing on now tommy howe has taken that sort of 
more neighborhood protectionist stand on a lot of things. Like he opposes the height limit change. He opposes the measure B, the change to the way the city handles garbage uh, and the cost of garbage disposal in San Diego. We'll talk about that. But he's just kind of trying to appeal, again, the way that Barbara did to people who are worried about San Diego and the establishment that's kind of in charge. There's like a, a brand of email I've been getting for years whenever um, you write about growth in any capacity, whether it's a uh, need for housing, yeah. housing stock. It's, um, it's, Where are we going to get the water? Well, it's the same It's the same group of people, but the, the email that I think is more indicative of their like organizing principle is, why would we want to make San Diego bigger when we could make San Diego better? Yeah. <laughs> and what they mean is they want to focus on the quality of life for people who already live here and not focus as much or as carefully on latter generations, ensuing generations, uh, people who or people who don't have much right now and are here. Um, there's the, the sort of. That's that. That's at least like a a sort of homeowner versus renter mentality. A today's residents versus future residents would be residents. That that sort of is a, a dynamic that I think it breaks down a lot. Yeah, sometimes. and there's a lot of spicy debates right now in the environmental world yeah. between people who've always known and loved Tommy Howe and who are frustrated with where he's at with some of these discussions about that where he's taken the position like it's more about like preserving the way San Diego was as opposed to like retrofitting it for a more like ecologically yeah. balanced thing or whatever. Right? Yeah. I mean, in the run up went back in the days when there was a Republican mayor and multiple Republican council members, we used to often discuss what it would look like once the sort of what had been identified as an inevitable ascendant democratic majority had succeeded in proliferating through every elected office and that's happened now and one of the ways we had thought that the like democrat versus democrat split would break down is like business friendly democrats versus labor aligned democrats and in my perspective so far between the mayor's race two years ago and this race that is not how it has split down no. split at all that isn't that's not it it's much more this for lack of a better term, Yimby versus NIMBY mentality with Yimby not just representing home building, but like home building plus tax increases are okay, plus height limit things, uh, plus something like Measure B, um, whether we should invest in transit expansion, all that that whole like suite of of urban growth focused uh, city uh, city planning versus. Uh, no main main yeah no How about no versus no right yeah. How about and and, no? and this race i think is like is almost a carbon copy of how the brie gloria mayoral race worked out let's let's put a note in what he, what tommy house said about the trash ordinance mm -hmm. too when we get to that discussion mm -hmm. because i think that's interesting of how he's tried to square all that right mm -hmm. uh kent lee the other candidate is uh leader in the uh, pack arts movement He's a uh, uh, nonprofit, well-known in that. He's got the support of the Democrats, labor. Um, yeah, I mean, to my point business, earlier, he has yeah. the, the Chamber of Commerce and the Labor Council. Yeah. Just and, like Todd Gloria had and the Chris Labor Kate. Council yeah. and the Chamber of Commerce. Right. right. The Republican Chris Kate, the, the Democrats uh, in, in labor, all of those 
are rallying around Kent Lee's campaign. Now, this will be tight. There's no, I don't think there's any indication that one person is running away with it. Uh, Kent Lee, again, has a lot of institutional support, so I, I would argue he's probably the favorite, but it's not it's not clear at all that he'll run away with it. No, not I mean, you have to exercise humility in marking a favorite in any of these races. Sure. There's such low information contests. Um, there isn't that much advertising. There isn't that much spending in the grand scheme of, of, of things for any of these stuff. Most of the people who vote on these are are going to be making that decision at the very end. Um, and then some of those people just are going to have relationships that matter much more than anything that's said or done in the campaign. Mm-hmm. So like you can pay attention to all this stuff and read all the articles and glean that for some sort of insight. But like I would I would be perfectly satisfied just calling this a toss up yeah. and, and not having to think much more about it. than that. All right. The other sort of bigger race is along the coast. Dr. Jen Campbell's running for reelection as a representative of district two. She's facing as per her supporters design, the Republican that ran against her, Linda Lucas, you met her at the debate at PolitiFest where she opposed the change to the height limit in the Midway Pacific highway community plan area and she's uh, she's she is running as a conservative. She's um, uh, uh, the UT endorsed her though, uh, and made the point like she's been very accessible. She's not a firebrand. She's uh, she participates in all these debates and discussions. And Jen Campbell wouldn't even come talk to us. I thought that was an interesting development. Now I think you could say Jen Campbell's the favorite. She has a lot more money, a lot more resources, all this institutional support. Uh, but she she didn't do well in the primary, and without you know this engineered the way it is, where a, a Republican gets through against her, I think she's in a much tougher reelection campaign. But I also, again, you, you never know what's going to happen. She is she obviously has some trouble with um, approval ratings in her district, so we'll see um, it, how much that actually carries over to the polls. Yeah, I mean, to the point to the idea that like incumbents always win, which was as close to a a rule you could write in pen in local politics four years ago when Jen Campbell first won. And then Jen Campbell went out and beat an incumbent. Yeah. So like incumbents lose and Jen Campbell beat an incumbent. Right. So by tarring her as a as a Trump Republican. Right. (laughs) And Uh, so the the dynamics going to be tricky for Linda Lucas as a Republican. Um and and obviously the Jen Campbell's campaign wanted to face Linda Lucas and and you know uh, committees supporting her in the primary did in fact spend money to get Linda Lucas through in, at the expense of other Democrats. Did you see this? So, uh, Ed Harris, uh, the former yeah. interim council member for this district, he endorsed uh, uh, Lucas. So yes. yeah. uh, it, now look at the UT's endorsement. And you look at somebody like the OB Rag, like a, yeah. like a a, a group that defines itself as progressive they they view themselves as like bluer than blue and they hate jen campbell yeah they do not like, like they and you know and but they adored her when she was running against Lori zaff so let's let's talk about the ut's endorsement for a second because this is fascinating so we always kind of make fun of some of their their logic behind this because they never want to like take a stand on a principle or policy when they make these endorsements it's more about something else that's kind of uncontroversial that makes them want to make this. And this was a perfect- Very, very often procedural. Yeah. And and in this case, they they said, basically, we like all of the big policies 
that Jen Campbell has pursued. However, she's not very accessible. She doesn't go to these debates, and she didn't come to our interview of her. Thus, we should endorse and have endorsed her opponent, Linda Lukic. And I, I think this is actually really indicative of the difference here because all of the things that Jen Campbell pursued, mm-hmm. you only pursue if you ha- if you cut yourself off from the public discussion about them. You, you She supports... Those are the things that made her unpopular to the extent that she's avoiding debates and going to the UT editorial board yeah. and trying to, to win by... Uh, you know, sort of avoiding the spotlight. The, the, like yeah. the, these two things are that they are praising her for, and then uh, essentially like docking her for, are related. Those yeah. things are tied together. The, the this is I'm, you might need to bleep this, but this the argument for Jen Campbell is that she doesn't give a f- yeah, and and I think like that's 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 the value of her or the thing you hate about her, yeah, because she doesn't care what people think. To the extent that she's willing to do the height limit change, she's willing to tackle the 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 short term vacation rental challenge with some sort of compromise. She's willing to lift the height limit on the coast. I will say this, and they will be mad about this. But if Todd Gloria, the mayor of San Diego, were the representative for this district on the council, they would not pursue lifting of the height limit in this area. This thing that he supports you mean as mayor, they wouldn't have. Three years ago, when right. that, when when she first floated it, yeah, she was the not only she's not only okay with this happening, she was the sponsor of this change. And it's easy to forget now because that thing passed, yeah, and then it was thrown out by court, and they put it back on the ballot, presuming it'll be easy to pass again. But that was not seen as like something that would obviously pass at the time that her and Chris Kate put out a memo saying, "Let's put this on the ballot." No, it was it was viewed as something that would that was very risky to take on and that would probably lose. Yeah, building along the coast west of I-5 is limited to 30 feet because of a ballot measure 50 years ago that was considered kind of sacrosanct, sacrosanct in local policy, right? Like you don't touch it. Yeah. Remember you did a story about it 10 years ago and and Kevin Faulkner was like, yeah, never. I'm not. He going put to out do a that. press release. Like, I didn't say anything in the article about Kevin Faulkner's plans to change it. <laughs> and he put out a press release like a day later that was like, we're not touching the height limit, just to be clear. Yeah. That, it was, it's, uh, that's how touchy it is and was. And again, like, she, she was like, oh, I'll do it. That's well, do you, do you remember her hot mic moment? No. It was in the early days of the pandemic when they oh, were right. all on, uh, on city councils <laughs> through Zoom. She forgot to mute her computer and the city council, you could just hear her talking. She was having a phone conversation yeah, with somebody else. Oh, no. And throughout the city council meeting, you could just hear her end of the conversation. And Barbara Bree, who was running the meeting, was screaming, Council Member Campbell, we can hear you. Turn- $4 billion, billion with a B, well, in- export <laughs> and import. <laughs> <laughs> what have I got to lose, right? And uh, yeah, and um, Councilmember Campbell, we can hear your conversation. This is um, she, but she's Brady. on. She's the head like walked away from her computer. She's just on her phone. And what you heard her say was, "Yeah, we're doing the height limit thing. What do I care? I got nothing to lose, right? <laughs> I'm old." And like, like they were very apprehensive to talk about it. Yeah, I remember I called and asked them for comment when I was going to write about it, and they did not want to comment and did not want me to be writing anything about it like that 
if if there's like an affirmative case to be made for her, it's it's what she said on that phone call that the hot mic picked yeah. up. That is the case for That's her. That's the case for her, and it's the case against her. Yeah. Because she is not in touch necessarily with that district. And again, if you had somebody like Todd Gloria, who's so aware and perceptive of what people are saying about him and concerns people have, if you were representing that district, there'd be no way they would do those things. Now, let me ask you. So when, when that was on the ballot, though. Yeah. Um, Todd Gloria supported it and ran for mayor. Yeah, and when it, while he was running for mayor, because citywide it's not a, that controversial. Oh, but if he was in that district, if he was district. representing that district and had to answer to that, where where you, if you look at the map of who opposed it, it was just that district, right? That's right. Yeah, Lopez, you actually moderated a debate or sat on one for these this race in the primary. Mm-hmm. She wasn't there. Jen. She didn't. She didn't show up. <laughs> That's right. But they did have like a little podium for her. Uh huh. And um, oh, but they uh, event organizers love that. <laughs> like leaving oh, an gonna... empty podium oh. with the person's name. Yeah. Yeah. One of the Good things stuff. she did also try to strike a compromise on was this street ordinance, street vending ordinance, street vending ordinance. And yeah. um, a lot of people hate her for that in that district, but. She would argue she was that was one thing she was trying to listen to him on. Right, championing for them because so many of the beach residents were upset about street vendors taking up public space. And that kind of ties back to what you guys just said about uh, Todd Gloria because I think originally he said he would take that issue on. Yeah. And then he, you know, it was handed to her office. Yeah. So. Fascinating. All right, that's city council. Let's get into the actual props and measures. Props are statewide. Measures are local. Got it? Got it. They made that change. I like it. It's fine. You should put that on a shirt or something. It's a good... Oh, that's actually not a bad idea for a shirt. It's it, That's a, uh, a <laughs> good... When do like, I have bad ideas for shirts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had like yeah. four. Good. We have four. We haven't made any yet. We, uh, that That's a good useful piece of like local trivia. You'll be able to use that at your Halloween party. All right, Proposition 1, constitutional right to reproductive freedom. So it's already legal to have abortion and other services in California. This, though, makes it part of the Constitution, which means to change it, you'd have to have another vote. That's Proposition 1. Now, one thing I heard that's interesting is that there are some interpretations of this that, if interpreted in a certain way by a court later, could argue for more state funding an entitlement to certain reproductive services going forward. Once it's in the Constitution. Yeah, because it's in, it's a constitutional right. So um, that is uh, obviously a reaction. Which to, would make it more than, you know, if there's an argument against this, it's that it's symbolic or, so, or something along those lines. And I would argue that it is it's potentially not. Right, exactly. So again, abortion rights are protected by law, but this just makes it more protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, would require... Uh, that doesn't change anything about when uh, it's considered a viable uh, fetus or anything like that. It's just about you have this right and it's in the Constitution and the, the law can go from that. All right. Proposition 26. This is the one that allows you to bet on sports in a tribal casino in this state. Okay. It doesn't have nothing to do with online gambling, nothing to do with anything else. And racetracks. And racetracks. Yeah, the three big racetracks across the state you would be able to go to and not only bet on the horses, but also on whether UCLA is going to win the national championship or whatever. So 
could get, get some fantastic odds on that one. Yeah. The they're not going to do well this year. All right. Not not national championship. Game. All right. So this is Actually, I take that back. They're pretty good. This has a different angle though to it, which I don't think is discussed enough. There are all kinds of card rooms around places like San Diego, right? Mm-hmm. Like Ocean's 11, yeah. uh 7 Mile Casino, all these places where you can go play poker and blackjack and stuff like that. There, it, there's a version of these games where you, you can only play each other. You can't bet against a house. Do you know what I mean? You can't bet against the casino itself. And so they've worked around it and, and basically, you know, they, there's one person that's kind of the house or whatever and, and this dealer, it's a, everybody different deals. It's, it's, they've gotten around that to allow blackjack to occur in these places. Now, the Indian tribal casinos do not like that and want that those card rooms to face a lot more regulation. And so in Proposition 26 is a rule that makes it much easier for anyone, including existing casinos, to sue the card rooms to um, prove or uh, make them prove that they're not doing anything illegal. So um, it's a... Uh, I think that's probably the bigger part of this in a certain way, Um uh, it would change the landscape of of uh, regulated gambling. Are those card rooms as as common across the state as they are here in San Diego? Yes, there's lots of them, and some of them are quite big in in um, you know like Northern Thunder Valley places like that. Mm-hmm. All right, three, two, Proposition Twenty Seven. This is the different one. This is support. This is the one that would allow online uh, betting, so you could use your phone to bet on games and uh, sports across the country but you couldn't vote or bet on california colleges except except when they go to the tournament uh, a tournament a national tournament of some kind right so you couldn't vote you couldn't bet on ucla you have have friends in new york who are talking about how they started gambling a lot recently Uh, this would allow us to use those same apps that have that are now very big money players in the sports world uh, that would that would extend them into California. Yeah, and so you have to pay $100 million for one of these licenses and you have to partner with an existing tribal casino to get one of these licenses to do this work. There's only going to be a few places that can do that and they happen to probably be the people who are funding this initiative uh, and that's BetMGM, FanDuel, DraftKings, and a few other players. Now, it's not doing very well in the polls. It does have one caveat that's interesting. You cannot bet at tribal casinos with yeah. it. They'll have to like make your phone not work what? at the casino. Yeah, I guess they didn't want people because because the tribal casinos make money by people bet bet on sports there and watch sports there. Mm-hmm. And if you were to be able to be at a tribal casino just firing off bets from your phone, that would be bad for the other gambling behavior taking place at the tribal casino. Yeah, prop twenty eight. This basically the the state requires that when the legislature is doing the budget every year, that it gives a certain amount to education. This increases the amount that it gives to education, and it has to go to arts and music. Got it? It doesn't raise any taxes. It doesn't actually say we'd have to cut instead. It just says that out of that entitled uh, group of funding, about a billion dollars a year would have to go to arts and music. All right, next prop twenty nine. Have you seen the dialysis commercials? How could I have not seen the dialysis commercials? <laughs> it's amazing. Every two I've only years. seen one. Really? Oh, yeah. Man. Every two Which years, the dialysis. Sooner or later, I'm going to 
take a deep dive and figure out this what what is going on with the dialysis. I'll world. tell you. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> there is uh, SEIU, the Union of, of Service Workers, wants to put more requirements on what you have to have to operate a dialysis center where people go to do what a kidney would do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, those that extra um, resources and staff. They think they could eventually unionize, and the people who own those facilities and run them do not want them to unionize and don't want them to add those requirements of who needs to be on those facilities and, and the cost that it is. So they're going to keep, uh, they think this is a viable strategy to eventually get there to keep putting this on the ballot. And the people opposing it obviously think it costs more than what it costs to oppose these initiatives. And so they keep fighting it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Prop 30. This is a tax on the richest people in California. Yeah. We already have the highest taxes on those people. This would fund the infrastructure for more electric vehicle charging stations, more infrastructure in general for electric vehicles. And and critically, rebates for individuals to buy electric vehicles with uh, with the benefit of a tax rebate, getting money back for doing so. Now, the entity paying for this mostly is Lyft. Mm-hmm. And Lyft wants to do that because there is an, uh, an accompanying state law that requires all these car sharing services to become electric at some point. And at a, at a timeline faster than the overall fleet, because there's, there's, there's uh, guidance in the, in the law about how soon all of us will have to phase over to um, electric vehicles. Lyft has a hard and fast deadline that is much earlier and so there are going to be a number of drivers that need to buy electric vehicles. And this is a way of the company, potentially, this is a, at least an argument is that the company has found a way to get the state to pay for its own mandate to get its drivers all in electric vehicles by creating this rebate. Yeah. Now, there is one notable person against this. There is one notable person against this. Governor Gavin Newsom. Not known necessarily for opposing these sorts of things. He opposes it, says the tax on the rich is already too high. We're going to lose people because of it. It's already high enough, I guess he might say. And um, and also that we've already budgeted for right. ample funding and in infrastructure funding for uh, charging stations and rebates and those sorts of things. Now, it would be true that that being the case, if you had this new pot of money available to fund those things, you could reallocate what you'd already yeah. budgeted to other news. So it I would think be he's uncomfortable with how it looks to have a massive surplus yeah. and ask for a higher tax. Yeah. And so th- alongside like the supporter list alongside Gavin Newsom is not a group of people whose logos are typically oh, you mean uh, against uh, against yeah. uh, alongside with Newsom are not the group of people who are whose logos are new, typically around his. Right. You've got right. Howard Drivers Taxpayer Association, Republican Party, Carl DeMaio. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of wealthy individuals themselves see that it's worth giving some money to stop this. Uh, it costs less to do that than to pay the tax. Yeah, so. and now the the support whatever argument you you see about whether Lyft is being opportunistic here. Supporters of the measure, nonetheless, still seem to see a tax on millionaires that is going to be provided, spent on green infrastructure. And so the Democratic Party, Labor Council of environmentalist groups are all very interested. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One thing, it does give money to firefighters, which is why there's ads with firefighters. Yes. Training uh, wildfire. Yeah. So now that 
uh, is a toss-up from what I hear. We'll see what happens with that. Watch for Prop 30 on election night about where it's at. All right, last one, Prop 31. This uh, this is one of those, you have a right, whenever the legislature or city council passes a law, you have a right to try to throw it out with a referendum. Mm-hmm. This, uh, they passed a law saying that you should get rid of flavored uh, tobacco products, uh, and the tobacco companies put a referendum up to, to get them to stop that, and that's what Prop 31 is. Do you want the law to stop that, or do you want them to keep going? A yes vote approves the law, and a no vote rejects a 2020 law prohibiting the retail sales. So that's where yes means yes and no means no, to be clear. Sometimes that's confusing. Sometimes it is the opposite. Do you want the law to stop the sale of flavored tobacco like this? Yes, vote yes. If no, vote no. Here's the interesting thing about this. They probably already won just by getting this on there. I think Emily Hooven from the Cal Matters made this great point. They made lots of money in the time between now and when this law passed selling these products and so it was worth it just to get it on the ballot so they could make that it's like when the chamber of commerce here uh referended the minimum wage increase and and then two years later when it was time for it to be on the ballot didn't they didn't even spend any money to to win they just and they conceded that it would win but they had already won in delaying it for two years right Okay, now there's uh, three more groups of prop- of measures now. They're local measures. So the countywide one, there's only one. It's to tax marijuana. Uh, I'm sorry, cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> Taxes uh, Can cannabis. Can you just save that audio and put it somewhere on our website? Uh, so this is for tax on uh, the sale of cannabis. In un- and, un- and cultivation. They have different right. tax rates for cultivation and manufacturing and all that stuff, but yes. This is for unincorporated areas. So this doesn't apply to the city of San Diego or city of Chula Vista or anything. This is for places that aren't part of a city but are in the county of San Diego. If they have a legal dispensary of cannabis or a cultivation facility or whatever, it's going to pay a 3% tax for distribution, 2% for testing, 3% for cultivation, or $10 per canopy square foot. So basically, it's a tax on cannabis, and it's an interesting one because the county is, rel- in comparison to the city, is regarded as more conservative. Yeah, uh, both in terms of what it thinks about marijuana, mm-hmm. um, excuse me, cannabis, and what it thinks about taxes. And this is a tax on cannabis, so it it's uh, it'll be interesting to me whether this passes or not, given what we would expect out of that electorate. Yeah. All right, the two biggies. Let's get into them. Measure B. This is the city of San Diego's measure that would change the so-called people's ordinance. Right now, if you have a single-family home on a city street that the city maintains, you get your trash out to the curb. The city has to take it without charging you a special fee. That was part of a 100-year-old deal. Uh, They were supposed to eventually charge a fee, but then taxpayers said, no, you're not going to charge that fee. That was a vote. And that's why to change it, you have to have a vote. This vote would not impose a fee, but it would give the city the chance to study the fee and implement it at what point it decides. It has to make a lot of decisions about what kind of service they're going to provide people. Now, if you live in an apartment complex or a condo complex, Mm -hmm. you are most likely, though not sure, you are most likely to have to pay a private hauler to come take that trash and thus, it's a little bit of an inequity because they pay and people in single-family homes do not pay a special fee. Now, they will make clear that they do pay taxes 
and that pays for this. So they pay in a different way. Right. So the yeah the um now the the renter people who live in apartments or condos even if they are renters are also paying that property tax. They are also paying taxes into the city's general fund. So it's sort of the question is they're paying twice. Yeah. And single family the predominance of single family homeowners are paying once. Um, interesting idea from Tommy Howe mentioned at PolitiFest. Yeah, so we were talking about this. He's running for city council. He um, used to support this change. He now says he doesn't because it's just, it's just too hard of a time to add a cost to people's cost of living. And you or somebody on the forum asked him about that and what what he's going to do. And he, had a, he tried to triangulate it. How did he do it? Yeah, he said, well, you don't need a ballot measure to do it. Kent Lee tried to jump on and said, no, 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 you you absolutely, the only way to do it is through a ballot measure. And Tommy said, no, no, no. What I'm saying is we could create a new, essentially a rebate program that where the city would, to all of the people who pay through a private hauler, they would get a deduction of that amount from their tax bill from or, or, or from what they presumably pay for it. So they would... You would give them money rather than charge it to to make everybody square. You would give money to the people who already pay for tax mm-hmm. rather than sure. charge the people who already who, who do not. So like basically people in apartments. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'd give money to people in apartments as opposed to charging people who live in single family homes. Summarizing there, that's uh, recognizing, of course, that it's not all people in apartments or all people in single family homes. But yes. Um, so. Another way to look at it is like you're doubling the city's losses. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> like like the right now the city pays, you know, between 40 and 70 million dollars for the cost of sending out trash trucks that it doesn't collect fees for. It's actually and, it's what the conservatives have rallied around, right? Like you make enough money, why don't you just give them the money too or the service for free too? Yeah. Um and the the progressives and democrats are usually on the side of like we need more ref- resources to support all the things you want to do with this city, including you, Tommy. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the the IBA didn't say like how much multifamily dwellers are paying in their private hauling fees right now. They didn't they didn't look into that. They did using Sandag data discern that roughly give or take half of the city lives in uh, multifamily units. And so if you wanted, it, it it may not be apples to apples because they use dumpsters typically. So it may, maybe it's a little bit more efficient on the multifamily side. But for simplicity, let's just say that about the amount of money that you spend on single family homes, you would now give away to people who live in multifamily units. That's going to be the big one. That's one I'm going to look at right away. That's a huge one. Obviously, um, we've done some reporting. Mackenzie Elmer did some reporting about how this the city is so far behind on a mandate from the state to collect organic waste and recycle that and protect it from going to landfills that it seems like a big part of this is to pay for that. <laughs> well, because that we have to pay for that on top of what we right. pay right now and for the same reason that the people's ordinance exists, you can't pay we can't couldn't charge for that either. Yeah. So you would have you have that. These other cost cities coming. are just adding fees to to take care of that. Yeah. And these private haulers are going to add costs to their bills to take care of that. The city of San Diego has Cannot no bill to it. add to. Yeah. Right. All right. Measure C, the other biggie. 
This is the 30-foot height limit west of uh, I-5 in the city of San Diego. It was protected by voters 50 years ago. You cannot build higher than 30 72. feet. 72, it's, it's older now. Yeah. Uh, so you cannot build higher than 30 feet now. And mm-hmm. to get to build higher than 30 feet like SeaWorld did, you have to get a vote of the people. This is a vote of the people to do that for the entire area from Old Town to the sports arena. To allow the midway area there to build as high as they need to um, to accommodate the residential units anticipated in the community plan, right? Mm-hmm. So this was voted on as Measure E in 2020. It was approved by voters, but because of a lawsuit was thrown out, this is their attempt to do that. The sports arena development is dependent on this passing. Mm-hmm. All the things we talked about with all the bidders there, that doesn't matter if they cannot get this passed. Um, the opposition, you managed the debate on that. What are they sort of seizing on? They're sort of all over the place. I would frankly say, um, some would be, you don't need, you don't actually need the height limit to build more units. You could just build more units under the current law. Um, the height don't, limit don't per- believe developers when they say that the new development that's going to come about from this will be overwhelmingly market rate not affordable and so don't believe people when they say that this would be an answer to the uh housing affordability crisis uh that through sea level rise this would be um, an unwise place to build that uh, based on the level of the water table uh, building especially tall would be especially unsafe because of liquefaction of the of the ground Did they get into liquefaction yes um yeah. so there was there's uh it's sort of depends on what you say is the good reason is the, the antithesis of that is their reason not to do it i think at the heart of it is the heart of the origin of this law which is that they didn't want big buildings on the coast they think this measure and it did it contained that sort of growth Mm-hmm. And any chiseling away of it, even if you don't consider the Midway area part of the coast, is itself a threat that they must fight. Yeah. And that's a strategic decision that like the proponents of this measure have made is that we can make the argument that Midway isn't really the coast yeah. and thereby skirt any argument about whether it would be good to get rid of the coastal height limit in Pacific Beach or La Jolla or Ocean Beach, which I think would all be much more controversial and much harder fought wins. So they've made a decision when they started pursuing this path in the first place to say, like, people are going to be receptive to the idea that this isn't really the coast. And whatever you think about the coastal height limit, it was intended to preserve a certain physical form near the water and we're not near the water so we'll be able to win on those grounds in response to that what people have said is it's a slippery slope they're, yeah. they're chiseling away first if you allow it to happen at the midway they'll come back for point loma they'll come back for ob they'll come back for pb they'll come back for la jolla um, like little by little little by little mm-hmm. and so this Cats is and dogs this is the the camel's nose under the tent um as it were and I guess if I were to say like what is the tr- what is the true argument what is what is the the genuine uh, reason for opposition it's that yeah. it's people who don't want any change to the coastal height limit and see this as uh, a first step that you they don't stop. want to you got to fight everything yeah all right lat we're gonna do measure H measure H is nothing don't worry about it it's just a change <laughs> to it's they, they do this all the time clean up stuff they want to um, potentially host child care centers on city land it's not allowed for some reason in the charter. This would change that. Doesn't build new childcare facilities. It doesn't 
decide any new child care facilities or include any money for new child care facilities. It just would allow uh, that activity to happen at Parkland if uh, on so, in some way that were to occur. Right. All right. Measure D. So this is an interesting one. This is uh, uh, what, about 10 years ago, 12 years exactly ago. Exactly 10 years ago, uh, 2012. The, yeah. This, this hurts my brain. So June, June 2012. Right yeah. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I don't know. PM. Fair enough. Let's start with this. Uh, project labor agreements are deals that um, uh, contractors sign with labor unions. And they say, you labor unions agree not to go on strike. And in exchange, we will agree to make sure that everybody who works on this project goes through you to work on this project doesn't mean they have to be union members and many of them aren't but they but but the contractors have to pay the union required retirement benefits the union required structure for training has to be followed all those things right mm-hmm. and so those are project labor agreements now people who aren't union contractors that don't have union members working for them they in general don't like these because they feel like it keeps them out of these jobs. The unions like them because for big projects like uh, like these, like this, like this, like, or like the school construction projects and bonds, all of those things are so lucrative that they want to make sure, they would argue that people get paid enough, get the retirement benefits they deserve and are trained at the high, high standards. The uh, opposition would argue that they're protected from competition mm-hmm. uh, of, that they would provide. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's that's a project labor agreement. It, it there there one thing that is forgot is like it does that there are there are some contractors who are okay with this and yes. that it does secure their labor force through the length of the project. Yeah, the unions guarantee the labor which means like if there's not workers for a job like the union pays for it. Mm-hmm. That all said, in, 10 years ago the city of San Diego uh uh pushed by these contractors, uh, ended up putting an initiative on the ballot. They pushed it onto the ballot that prohibited the city from requiring these sorts of agreements on their big projects, right? Mm -hmm. And the state responded after this passed by saying, you can't do that or you won't get any state funding. What the city was doing at that time was, was trendy. It was uh, the city of Chula Vista had done it as well. San Diego County had done it as well. Up and down the states, there were any any city that had uh, a reasonably conservative electorate and some conservative leadership was was putting these PLA bans or pseudo PLA bans on the ballot and having some success with it in that in that period, especially in like 2010. I remember they a lot of them won, um, and so yeah, that was that that was the measure. So. Um, oh, then the, the state comes in and the state says, if you have one of these measures, if you are a city who has one of these measures, uh, th- you are not eligible for certain types of state funding mm-hmm. um, or loans, you know, low interest loans that the state provides. Now, the city had in its in its law, this initiative had it said, like, you can do this if you have to to get state funding. Yeah. But now all this rigmarole, this- there's been court cases and the, the complexity on like is this a ban? Is this not a ban? Did it provide avenues? Should it should mm-hmm. it uh, subject the city to losing state funds? Is like uh, as complicated to to litigate as it gets. But that it essentially has the time has come that the supporters of this measure and project labor agreements in general have decided that 
uh, the the they can strike while the iron is hot to overturn this measure once and for all. Now there was uh, there was a protest I, I came across at City Hall the other day mm-hmm. by the Black Contractors Association, which argues that these PLAs keep uh, their workers and contractors out of these big jobs, and that's become a problem for this argument. Uh, there's other uh, detractors like that, but if you vote for this, contractors have also pointed out that, or the you know Associated General Contractors have pointed out that the city has not yet ever lost any state money as a result of Prop A, uh, which is true for major projects like the Pure Water. Um, they managed to maneuver around Prop A to do something basically just like a PLA, and despite AGC's attempt to sue that project down, they lost, and state funds did indeed flow to pay for it. So uh, it is it is true that the city has not yet lost any state money. Got it? Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Huh? This is the last big one. Measure you. Every few years, we see this come up. The San Diego Unified School District is asking people to raise their taxes to pay for construction. In the state of California, to raise taxes for school construction, you only need 55% of the vote. You do not need two-thirds like in most other circumstances. Thus, um, they have done that several times. They did it in 1998, in 2008, in 2012, in 2018, and now again. So... Uh, the this would increase. Uh, so if you had a, a five hundred thousand dollar assessed house, uh, this would add sixty dollars per hundred thousand dollars of assessed value, which it would means, allow for that. Yeah, it would allow for them to tax that much. So if you have again a five hundred thousand dollar house, it would add uh, three hundred dollars to your tax bill at most. So it's it would ramp up to that if they agree. Now they argue. It will just replace uh, taxes that are going to expire. We can't seem to get exact clarity about when that will happen. Like what? Like if they voted this down, when the taxes would go down? Yeah. Um, so because they, and which is important because they're using the fact that this is replacing an expiring tax measure as an argument that this isn't really a tax increase. You're right. going to continue. Gonna pay, you're going to continue paying what you would pay. Now, if you were due a tax cut in January, then the difference between a like this measure passing and not passing would be very much like a tax increase. You know, like yeah. you would either have more money or not have more money in yeah. come January. Um, however, we can't get any clarity on when that tax cut essentially, if this weren't to pass, would happen. Yeah. Um, they seem to be willing to acknowledge that it won't happen immediately say January 1st and that it would happen by the time the sun devours the earth yes. into a ball of fire. Um, and sometime then between those sometime points. between those points. Yeah. Now, so this is the money, this is the sort of tax increase that they have used over the years to do some p- cool stuff. I think it's fair to say there's, there's air conditioning on all the coastal schools. Now there wasn't before every school is supposed to have air conditioning. There's a few obviously exceptions that aren't, aren't quite together. There's they've built, great sports facilities mission bay high hoover all these places have uh nice stadiums some and some campuses entirely have been rebuilt uh, lincoln high memorial prep right? memorial preps campus is 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 gorgeous now it was not mm-hmm. um 10 years ago uh on the other hand it has gotten to the point where this is the easiest uh, chunk of money and tax that they can pass, and they're constantly doing it, and they're doing it in ways. They used to have nasty, big, huge campaigns and accountability measures. They, it's so easy for them to get these done. You wonder uh, whether 
it's going right or not. And so um, they're saying, for example, we're going to protect schools from school shootings. It's a small part of their, they're going to try to use some funds this time to pay for housing for teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the charter schools are on board with this because they get guaranteed a chunk of funding out of it, which is an interesting sort of bipartisan approach to this as they've used in the past uh, to keep the enthusiasm for it. And that, my friends, thank you for sticking with us, is your ballot, as explained by the Voice of San Diego crew. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast that will go through your ballot with you and record the show in San Diego. Get the newsletter for this show at vosd.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. That comes out every Friday with more show notes, story links, and insights on the episode Check that out. That's VOSD.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.